Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Nelson Millman. Nelson is a broadcasting legend, serving as former general manager and program director at both Rogers Sportsnet and 590 The Fan. He also worked for CTV on their Olympics coverage at both the Vancouver 2010 Winter Games and the London 2012 Summer Games. Nelson has seen it all in sports talk radio, and yes, he was famously Bob McCowan's boss. Welcome, Nelson, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Well, thank you for having me. First of all, uh, where am I? I'm in Alliston, um, Ontario. Uh, and uh, other than being the world's worst putter, I'm just fine. Thank you very much. Well, I think well, I, I know think the answer to my next question. question. How has your, your summer been, been and how are you enjoying your retirement? retirement? Sounds, Sounds like you're like hitting the course. course. Uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, the golf is uh, is the primary uh, uh, thing I do in the summer, and uh, you know we have a we have a little dog, so I spend some time walking the dog. My life is very quiet, uh, and has been for a couple of years. And have and you been have long, you been and long have you lived long in Alliston, or, or how long have you been out there? We moved up here um, in 2016, so you know, going on uh, going on six years in, in a month. Well, well, let's go, let's go all, the all the way back, back and get the Nelson Millman story. story. Where, Where were you born? And tell us about your upbringing. I was born in Toronto, uh, in the North End, in uh, an area you might be familiar with called Bathurst Manor. Um, uh, and uh, I, we moved there when I guess I was about five years old. So primarily went there uh, to, to school there, you know, the normal kind of upbringing, I guess. Uh, you know, my father... Uh, uh, had a, a pretty good job. I guess we were comfortable. Uh, I was pretty lucky, uh, pretty lucky along the way. Lots of sports, uh, not good at many of them, but uh, <laughs> but played a lot. Um, yeah, so did, nothing, did have, uh, yeah. nothing too uh, too unusual. Did you have siblings, yeah, Nelson? And what did your mom do? Uh, I had uh, my brother passed away in March, uh, so there was just the uh, the two of us. And um, my mother was uh, kind of a typical typical mother you know five foot two of fury um, yeah, yeah she'd have to get on the chair to smack us but uh, uh but you know what she was she worked she worked part-time uh pretty much uh through all of my upbringing she was a, a very busy woman and uh um she's been gone a long time 30 years so uh, and, and where'd you go to high school uh, William Lyon McKenzie Collegiate Institute yes uh, um, shout out to I went to AY Jackson so we okay. were in the same the same rivalry group. Oh, there you go. Yeah, grade ten, best four years of my life. But um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't the, the greatest student of uh, of all time. Um, you know, we were. We were having fun. And when you yeah, finished, when you at, finished McKenzie, at McKenzie, where'd you head, Nelson? I took a year off and uh, worked at a little bit at this. I was a courier for a while, and um, I went to. I eventually, I wound up at Seneca College, so I, I went into the uh, business administration program. My father was uh, was an accountant, and uh, so I spent uh, a year doing that. But I started kind of goofing around at the campus radio station. I was doing sports casts and a little of this and a little of that. Um, and then I flipped into their what was then the broadcast course, but it was called communications. Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> uh, sorry, I was just going to say this would have been ahead of all these very formal broadcasting curriculums. Yeah, I mean, they had built a TV studio. There was a radio studio. There was a campus radio station. So, um, but it really was the beginning of, I think, a lot of the the programs that have since come online. Um, 
So I spent a year in there, and uh, I worked. Uh, I went to school with uh, Ted Wallishan, who you may know from uh, uh, from CFRB and Q and all the other radio stations uh, he was on over the years. And another fellow who wound up in radio who sadly passed away a couple of years ago, Rich Elwood. They got a job at um, Chick Radio in Brampton, a little yellow house on Ellen Street, 790 on the dial, and in fact the FM station, what is now The Edge. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that frequency. Now, so I, um, I left I left school and went and got a job there for uh, $360 a month. Rich got the job first, then I got one, I think, and then Ted came along either kind of before or after me. It was a long time ago. 360 a month, you were rich. Oh, I was, yeah. I mean, it was way better than what I was making as a courier. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we, we started there and you kind of trial by uh, by fire and you get a chance to do everything and... So I was on the air and doing all sorts of things behind the scenes, and it was a, we had a lot of ethnic programming, so I was producing ethnic programming, um, languages I didn't speak, but um, still put it all together and got it on the air. Now, now your first your radio first job radio was job in 1972, 1972, and you spent 20, 20 years, years in music, in music not, sports not sports radio. radio. Are you including, Are you including this uh, first uh, job first in Brampton? Was that was the very first one back in 72? Yes, that was the first job. So Wait. then uh, I spent about six months there, and then one day they asked me to cut the lawn, and uh, and I thought, you know, maybe it's time to uh, to move on. Um, and that's when you learn the first lesson: don't leave a job until you have another one. A good lesson. To go to, but lesson. I was going to show them. I sure taught them a good lesson. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I spent the next six months, you know, sending out production tapes, and I really wasn't looking for an on-air job. I, uh, I loved the production side of things and mm-hmm. uh, the creative side of things. And frankly, at the time, I didn't think my voice would suitable for you turn on Chum and you listen to Terry Steele and, you know, the, all those old guys uh, uh, who are uh, just legends. They are the real legends and um, thought maybe I'll stay on the production side of things. Okay. So I, I spent six months looking for work. And one day I just picked up the phone. I was married at the time and I picked up the phone and... Uh, called a radio station in Vancouver, and the program director at the time, Chuck McCoy, said, well, if you can be out here tomorrow, we can probably give you a job. Mm-hmm. I'd never been to Vancouver, but I got on a plane, and I was all of 21 years old. Wow. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um, yeah, flew out there and uh, spent a week um, learning their ropes, and they gave me the job. Came back here and moved a wife and a cat out to, out to Vancouver. Now, you also, yeah, you also spent time, time, of course, back here in Toronto, Toronto London, London, Ontario. Ontario. But the big, the big I, guess, I guess, change, change in your career, career or the big turning big point was 1992. 1992. You were hired to run what was then the Telemedia Radio Network. What was the Telemedia Network and, and what kind of programming did they run? Well, it primarily was the, uh, uh, the radio network for the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, the Ontario Network was uh, Toronto Maple Leaf Hockey, and they also had a number of entertainment programs. So Telemedia owned a publishing arm, so um, that included Canadian Living Magazine, um, um, TV Guide, uh, and a number of others. So there was a lot of syndicated programming that was being produced in Toronto and syndicated to radio stations uh, across the country, plus 162 you know, Blue Jay games or more. Um, and then, as I said, an Ontario network of, uh, of Toronto Maple Leaf. When I first started, that's yeah. that, that was what that network was. Well, let's, well, talk, let's talk about running the radio, radio network. network. What, what was, was your mandate, mandate at the fan? the fan? Well, the fan and the network were two different things at the time. So when I started, the, the fan hadn't been created. Um, 
Alan Davis, who was the program director at the network before me, um, moved down to the radio station at the time. CJCL was airing music. Mm-hmm. Um, so Alan went down there in the knowledge that at some point uh, the station was going to flip to sports. So when I took over, um, really was just the, the network you know, the network programming. So they were two separate entities for, uh, for a period of years. The mandate was to build the number of stations you had on the network, create programming to syndicate, and then, of course, the sales team to, uh, to bring the dollars in. You were there, you were to, there build to build a sports, a sports radio, radio brand, brand and, and your timing, timing couldn't, have been, couldn't have been better. As you kind as of you alluded to, Nelson, Nelson, when you say 162, 162 games or maybe or more, more. Uh, uh, launching, launching September 92 uh, was great timing. The Jays were on their way to a World Series title. The Leafs had just been in the semifinals. This must have been great momentum as you got going. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I always take credit for the World Series. <laughs> of course, I, I, hope you I got started in my the day the, the first day on the job at the network. I flew to spring training. So oh, you're kidding? No, no, it was pretty good. Um, so I, you know, I mean, after that, I just take credit for that uh, for that whole season. But to say it gave us, you know, the kind of launch that you can only dream about would be, you know, an understatement. Um, as I recall, the Leafs won ten in a row that year, uh, as well. So there, there were a lot of uh, a lot of things uh, going on. But yes, the the radio station launches in the midst of uh, of a World Series run. Um, at that time, we didn't know it was just meaningful baseball in September. Yeah, uh, but certainly. Um, uh, it was a pretty good launch pad. Now, now at, that at that time, all sports radio, radio there, there weren't many models, models to pattern, pattern yourself after. after. It was mostly it was a play-by-play play driven model. model. But, but the flip but side to all these great times was 94. 94. You had the you had strike and the lockout. And, lockout. and, you, and had you had to become, become a really, really good, good talk, talk radio station. station. Talk, talk about, about that transition. transition. Well, I, I think the, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I used to say the, the, the station, and I wasn't the program director when all of that happened. Um, I had moved from the network down, and I was the executive producer for the radio station. Alan Davis, the program director, had uh, gone back on the air. Um, Bob Makowitz, uh, senior, who's a real radio legend as well, uh, he was the program director at that point. So uh, you know, we we did uh, we did all sorts of things to to fill the airwaves. Um, but as I said, we we needed to become a really good talk radio station. The topic was sports. But there are certain, you know, fundamentals to great talk radio that apply whether you're in a, a sports format or a general talk format. The fan the became ubiquitous in, in the city, city becoming, becoming the radio, radio station, station for sports, sports in, Toronto. in Toronto. In promoting, promoting the, radio the radio station, station you, have you have said that you would, that you would leverage, leverage the press. press. What does what that, does that mean, mean as you built the brand? brand? Well, it, you know, it, it, the sports radio station was the most expensive of formats, and and. I think we all believed that the money needed to go into the content and what was actually coming out of the box, but we needed to find ways to promote the radio station as much as we all like to believe you put something on the air and everybody knows about it. Um, that isn't the case. So we uh, we did a lot of stunts. You know, we uh, um, uh, when I say leverage the press, they were interested in what we were doing. Some some was good press. Some was not such good press. But I used to, they would call and we would talk and I would be as honest as, uh, as I could be. And I think they recognized that. You know, again, you, you, a little bit of guerrilla marketing and, um, yep. uh, and using the, re, you know, what's out there to, to benefit your situation. Let's talk, Let's talk about, about taking, taking listener, listener calls. calls. 
I personally, what do I care about Wally from Woodbridge has to say about the Leafs? I get farther, far more than that from my buddies. I get enough of it. I don't think it makes great radio. I turn the dial when I hear it. What is your opinion on call-in shows and, and maybe educate me on why they are necessary in such a part of sports radio? Well, I think if we go back to the beginning, we, we always wanted to be a call-out radio station where you know, we were darting you know, just to bring people on to, to talk to. rather. But the name of the radio station was The Fan. When things happened, that's what we were there for. So I never, you know, I think we used, we tried to use it judiciously. Um, it was a way to tap into the emotional, you know, content of the city. But no matter what you do as a, you know, to, to, to develop content, the objective was to highlight the host. Mm -hmm. So if Tony from Woodbridge came on and asked a question, uh, and Bob McCowan, of course, was was the master. We had a lot, you know, we had a lot of good people who could do it. But it was simply to highlight the host, the host's opinion. What does the host think about that? So it really it was a way to stimulate those kinds of uh, those kind of opportunities for the uh, for the hosts. Well, in addition to the host, let's talk about your involvement as an on-air personality. You often appeared on the radio to take calls from listeners. You'd occasionally join Bob McCowan in on-air discussions. Why was it important to you to make yourself available to listeners in this way? Well, I think if we go back to the early days, I always thought it was a bit of a, you know, we needed to create a clubhouse. We needed to, you know, bring guys, bring people in. And, and I say guys because at that time, it was primarily a male-driven medium. Didn't mean women weren't listening. Didn't mean we loved when they listened. But you have, at that time, we had to identify who our target market was and then, and then over-serve them. And, uh, and actually, on that note, the fabulous sports babe, do you want to talk a little about her role and, and uh, your involvement with, she was brought in at one time, correct? Yeah, we did, uh, uh, we did bring her in, and that was following the, you know, the, uh, the upheaval in sports in 94, 95, and um, finances became uh, more of an issue, and, you know, it was one of those situations where this was available, she... She had a, a pretty good reputation in the U.S., and she's really a terrific person. I, I got a chance to to know her a little, but yeah, we we put the uh, we, we had that show on for uh, for a couple of years. So you, you kind of you do you do what you can with uh, <laughs> with what you got. No, none of those decisions were were easy, but um, I think I was I was just going to follow up. Um, except we've moved on, so. Oh, we can come back to it. When you were talking about sports radio as a clubhouse, you really talked about it's an escape for people. Right. Why did I go on the air? That's right. Um, I'm almost, I'm 70 in two weeks, so uh, forgive me for the... Uh... Hey, you're, you and I. You and I. I always felt that I, I wanted to give people the opportunity to, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one tell me what they thought. I tried to answer every phone call I got. At that time, you know, e e there was email, but we didn't have Twitter and we didn't have any of the social media uh, to, uh, to, to stay in touch with the audience with. So I always felt that that was um, uh, a way to at least give everybody the opportunity to, to have their say if they, if they wanted it. And sometimes it was just because McCowan had nothing else to do. <laughs> that could be a good reason too and certainly for you dealing with personalities and egos had to be the toughest part of the job uh, would you concur well you know i wouldn't say the toughest everybody um everybody who was there was passionate about what what it was we were doing and that's what i cared about um 
you know, we could we, we could talk about skills and we can develop skills and through coaching, but you needed to have people with big personalities. Uh, nobody's going to listen to somebody who doesn't have a big personality. They're not going to give you their time. They won't be able to emotionally connect. It's showbiz. Um, and when the curtain goes up, you put on a show. So if I had people on the air that were afraid to turn on the mic, we weren't going to last very long. So you needed to have big personalities, and it was up to me to find a way to give everybody a comfort zone. On that, On note, that note, let's get, let's get right, right to your, to your stories, stories or, experiences or experiences with various, with various personalities. personalities. Former, Former employee, employee Bob, Bob McCowan, you were program director at the Fan and Bob's, Bob's boss. boss. His persona, persona of course, is well known as cantankerous, cantankerous egotistical, egotistical, vengeful. vengeful. You know you him know best. Who is the real Bob McCowan? Yeah, I think those three cover it. No, I'm, I'm totally, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Bob is a big personality. Bob learned early on that you have to put on a show. Um, Bob is a very, very nice man. Um, he's, he's shy, he's smart as anything, but he's a character, and we're yeah. in the business of characters. And, you know, when you say something like vengeful, nah, you know, I, that's not a word I would ever, ever put on Bob. Um, but he has strong opinions, he thinks about those opinions, he can back up his opinions. Um, and uh, he and he could be stubborn, um, but you know that that last word kind of bothers me a little bit. Sure, I think there's just a perception. We're, we're, we're old friends. Sure, and I think but, there was a perception occasionally he had people that he didn't want to have back on the show or didn't yeah. want to associate with. So I think maybe I could have had a better choice of word. No, you know, and that's that's a fair comment. And you're right; there were people who, but over time, those things changed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and. It was, you know, Bob always believed it was it was his show, and he's going to do it his way as long as um, it fit within the parameters of what we were trying to accomplish as a radio station. Another, Another for, former, former employee of yours, John, John Shannon, Shannon, has now, now joined, joined Bob, Bob on his own, his own podcast. podcast. What, what were your experience like with John? John? He's had obviously, obviously a great impact on the way hockey was uh, broadcast in our country. Yeah, well, John and I uh, go way, way back till to when he was. Um, when he was with MLSE and we would negotiate deals for rights and uh, uh, for Raptors rights and, and other things and um, find ways to work together with, with their platforms and, and, and our platform. John's a good guy. I played golf with him two weeks ago, I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, again, he set the standard for a lot of years at Hockey Night in Canada and he's managed to, over time as a lot of people do. I haven't figured out how to reinvent himself to become a pretty good broadcaster. Um, if I don't say great, he's going to come at me, but a pretty good broadcaster. <laughs> <laughs> and and he he understands both sides of the microphone, and um, and I think that's that's an important quality. I want, I want us to ask, ask if you had interactions in the past with, with Don, Don Cherry. Cherry. Honestly, Honestly, I miss the, the guy. I always, I always thought his heart was in the right place, and I think he's done more for hockey and for Canada than he gets credit for. Do you have any experiences uh, with him and, and kind of a viewpoint on It would be great to see him back. Uh, yes, but let, let me go back and explain my relationship with Don first. He and Brian did a show for us, Grapeline, for, that was on the air when I, when I first started. Nobody was kinder to my family than Don Cherry. Uh, my daughter was 
very ill for a very long time. And there wasn't a week that went by in over eight, ten, ten years that um, uh, that we were going through what we were going through, that he didn't call her, send her something, uh, check in, make sure he called me, how's she doing? Um, so I have a very, very fond, uh, fond spot for Don Cherry. Um, you know, I, I'm lucky. I got a chance to know all these people outside of what they do. They just do radio. They just do television. You know, I, I think they're, you know, the issue with what happened at the end, he, I'm sure to this day, he might say he could have chosen a better way to frame it. Mm-hmm. Did Sportsnet or the NHL do what they think they needed to do? Yes. It's not up to me to decide whether it was right or wrong. Yeah, he strikes strikes me as as, uh, maybe uh, maybe the best best example example of someone who's the same same on and off the air, for better or for worse. But uh, certainly he he contributed a lot, I think. Speaking Speaking of Ron Ron and Don, Don, Ron Ron McLean, is it time for a change as Hockey Night in Canada host, or do the classics just keep getting better? I think in some ways the classics do keep getting better. Okay, so you're going to make a change. Now you have to think about it from sitting on this side, you know, the other side of the microphone. We're going to make, we're going to change Ron McLean. Okay. Who, who is it? There's so many people out there that could, could maybe step in. Would it be the same? No. Would it dynamically change the ratings? Uh, Maybe not. So Mm -hmm. what's the ultimate arbiter of whether you should make a change? Is it revenue? Is it ratings? Is it gut instinct? Is it just time? So I always look, you know, you have to look at those decisions sitting on the outside looking in. Yeah, it's easy to say, well, they should or they shouldn't. But when you look at it from the perspective of the people who have to make the decisions, what's their process? What is it they're looking to make better? So, you know, not sure that answers the question the way you asked it, but... Well, and I think if you had, if you asked different people, they'd have different opinions, but your point is well made. It's very different to be on the outside, understanding what the objectives are from the inside. I thought thought someone someone who was very very, uh, interesting interesting in terms of a transition was Richard Deitch. He was a very very interesting interesting addition in the sense sense to the primetime sports sports show. show. He came over, he was a very notable U.S. journalist from Sports Sports Illustrated. Illustrated. What was the thinking thinking here in bringing him to Toronto and bringing him on the radio? Well, I have no idea. I wasn't there at the time. Um, I think, um, you know, over the years, looking, you know, uh, co-hosts for Bob, uh, we were lucky for a very long time. Uh, We had, you know, Jim Hunt and then... uh, God bless him, Jim Kelly and and very, Damian Cox, of course. So you know, I, I think I think the opportunity must have been that Richard's available. He gets along well with Bob. He'd spent a lot of time on the air. Um, he was able to create a deal where he could move here. I guess I never met Richard, so I, this is all pure speculation on yeah. my part. But I think the more uh, you know, high ta- highly talented, quality people you can bring into a market, then that's what you do. And what was, what your, was experience your experience when you look, when you look back, back at bringing, bringing in former, former athletes, athletes versus broadcast professionals? You know, someone like Doug McLean, uh, and Nick Kiprios, grew, grew, Brian Burke, grew into the on-air role and did fabulous. And then uh, sometimes it doesn't work as well. Do you have an overall viewpoint on that or is it case by case in terms of bringing for- former sports insiders on air? Well, again, I think they, you have to come back to what's their personality, what kind of character are they going to be, you know, on the air. Um, I uh, I hired Doug. I mean, he had done radio, but I had, uh, but I brought him, uh, you know, we brought him in um, uh, to do radio. 
I'm sure you everybody remembers that uh, the general manager show um, and uh, I think it's case by case you know PK Subban has retired he will make a fabulous broadcaster yes if he if he decides that's what he wants to do the um, you know it, it all kind of comes to a, a bit of a head when they find out what the money is yeah. <laughs> There the asking were, price. Yeah, there were a number of athletes who, or you know, or ex-professionals, you know, that I would have loved to have hired full time, but you you can't compete on the dollars they were making versus what you have to put on the table. I want to talk about a little era for you of special significance. We touched on it a little bit. Your career and your involvement with the Toronto Blue Jays when you first came in, overseeing them. We talked about they were on the rise there, heading to the first of these two back-to-back World Series wins. Talk a little more about that time and the relationship you had with Jerry Howarth, the late Tom Cheek, and how kind of involved they were with the organization and the success. Well, very. I mean, Tom and Cheek were the sound of summer in Toronto for for an awfully long time. Um, you know, even to this day, uh, you know, people fondly look back on uh, on listening to them by the dock and, 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 and whatnot. I mean, that's, you know, in the backyard. Um, and at the time, you know, when I started, there were only 81 games on TV. So radio had the exclusive for 81 games. If you were a baseball fan, then we had you at least, uh, you know, 81, uh, 81 times a year or more. Um, but you know, I, I don't think it can be overstated how um, unusual it is for uh, two broadcasters to go as long as they did uh, together. Um, but they were, you know, Tom was a, you know what, Tom was a really good man. Um, he was big and loud, and he commanded the room when he walked in, and he wanted things, uh, you know, he. he the way he wanted them, and that was fine because he was so good. You know, when I started, these two guys had already been doing that for, you know, over ten years. I gather. Yeah. I'm trying to remember going back, um, what was I going to tell them about broadcasting, baseball? So my job was to be there to support when they needed support, to correct on the occasionally when that needed to to happen, and to develop the format of the broadcast, to enhance what their skill sets were um but together they were they were magic on the radio um, again all you have to do is people who are old enough uh, to remember well as you as say, say they were the, they sound, were the sound, of sound of summer and if, if I, understand I understand correctly, correctly both, both of them, them got, got uh, world, uh, world series, series ring. ring yes yes they did and well deserved uh you know well deserved they uh, uh yeah they they were part of that that baseball team and you know, they spent so much time with the club. They were, you know, almost employees of the Blue Jays more so than the broadcast side. Yeah. But we talked all the time and, you know, um, mostly separately, but we talked we talked all the time. So, um, but they deserved those uh, those rings. It was a nice honor for them. And, and Tom Cheek's up on that wall of fame. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to get your opinion on something a little outside of your uh, area of expertise, but you'll have an opinion on the next stadium. There's talk about tearing down Rogers Center, building on top of it. There's talk about building a new stadium beside it. There's talk of going somewhere totally different in the GTA. Any thoughts on what we should do or just enjoy the renovated Rogers Center? I think for now you're just going to enjoy the renovated Rogers Center. 
uh, I can't imagine what, what the cost would be to acquire land and build a stadium and do they need to do that right now? Well, I think they, you know, they're going to put a, uh, make a pile of changes. If that enhances the baseball experience enough, then, you know, we, we need a dome stadium. We need a covered stadium here, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I, I, that's a, you know, could you go to Woodbine? Sure. But, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know the business side of saying, well, let's move, uh, you know, let's build a new stadium. Sure. I think I don't know how much they're sinking into it for next year. It's a significant amount of money yeah. over the next couple of years. So nothing, nothing imminent for sure if they're if they're going to that. My sense is like yours. They put so much money into this renovation. It doesn't look like anything is going to change soon. And will it change your baseball experience being in a different stadium? What do you really care about about the Blue Jays? Do they well, win or do they lose? Yeah, exactly. It seems more and more people when I go to the games there in the hallway in the, hallway, in the, in the brew pubs and stuff, which I always find kind of surprising. Well, you buy a ticket and then you go watch it on a monitor and, uh, <laughs> on screen. In the, in, on screen. <laughs> Big picture, Nelson, when you look back at your career, would you say that you were more a sports guy or a radio guy? I was a radio guy. I had lots of sports experts on the on the radio station. I, th- I was a sports fan, but... You know, I had guys on the air who could tell you the total weight of the front line of the San Diego Chargers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I barely knew who the front line was on the San Diego Chargers and really didn't care much. What I cared about is, what are the big stories? How are we going to thread them through the day? Um, I don't have to know the minutiae. I, uh, I need to look at, you know, kind of the, the top line down. On this but podcast. I'm, you know, I'm, I was a radio guy. I wasn't a sports guy. I was a radio yeah. guy. Well, it's a very interesting answer. I would have thought you were a supreme sports guy who fell into radio, but you're really a radio guy and you leverage that that, uh, area of the industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I love music radio. I had a great time in music radio. I spent 20 years in Vancouver uh, doing music radio, I think. Um, It was was a lot of fun out there. Um, But I, uh, I happened to... Yeah, I got lucky. I want want to ask you a little little behind the scenes. scenes. We love love to see on this podcast podcast how the the sausage sausage gets made. made. When you have have a a show show and you bring on an expert, expert, uh, I was was wondering how this all gets arranged. And I'll kind of give you a little setup for it. Bob Ryan, from great writer for the Boston Globe, he was always a great get. It was fantastic to see him come on and hear him in Toronto. I loved it because he was the local guy. But I never understood why he came on. There was no listener in our area that was a subscriber to the Boston Globe. Presumably he got paid or maybe they make a trade-off of talent. How does the whole industry work in terms of bringing guests on for radio shows? Well, it depends on uh, on what show it is. So a show like Primetime Sports 6 to 7, um, that was a national show, you know, that was syndicated across the country. We didn't want to talk specifically about Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver. You needed to find guests who had a you know a bigger perspective. So that's how Bob Ryan winds up on the air. Was he paid? Yes. Once you know, we used to get you'd get people once or twice, but if you want them on a regular basis, um, it became a pretty good business when you think about three hundred odd sports radio stations in the United States, and if one guy is making X number of dollars, you know from 15 different radio stations um it's it's not a bad little uh, side hustle i guess they call it now <laughs> yeah they do call it that now it is a good little business so that's you know you find people that bring something to the party uh 
um, who understand how to work with the with the hosts, um, and then you make them regulars. Some of it is, some of it was sponsored, some of it wasn't. Um, if it was sponsored, then all of a sudden a little better budget to work with to uh, to acquire people. With social, with social media, media today, today athletes, athletes can interact, interact directly with the fans. With who needs, who needs media? media? Well, I, I, I still think that the, what is it, 240 characters now? Um, <laughs> yes. You know, I, I think there there is a limit, and this kind of goes back to the question that everybody seems to be asking, what's the future for sports radio in this country? Because in the U.S. it's, it's in much better shape. Um, I still think you need to have real-time um, interaction between people who understand what questions to ask and the subject. So um, it doesn't give you, it's not two-way communication per se with the listener, but hopefully the listener is sitting on the host's shoulder when the, sho- when the, when the host is, is asking questions and, and having a conversation. So. Maybe, Maybe tied, tied into, into that, that is, 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 is when are we going to stop seeing all these athlete coach press conferences? I, I already know all the answers. We're going to give 110%. Tomorrow's another day. They're almost completely useless. Why do we keep seeing them? Is it just, just there's so much of a need for content? There's so much of a need for content. And some some guys are characters. A, Tartar, a John Tortorella press conference is going to be significantly more exciting than somebody else's. So, you know, I, I, I think it's part of the process. Um, there's still, you know, whether it's online or newspapers, um, and I see the National Post has decided to shut down a bunch of newspapers. Mm-hmm. Um, you still need to have those answers. People, people are interested, and I gather everybody bets now, so of course they want as much information as they can get. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that. That's a great reason to keep them. Every little detail you can pick up is important when it comes to the gambling and fantasy sports. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it doesn't. It's not. It doesn't interest me, but clearly there are a lot of people it does interest. Here's, Here's one, one I've, I've always, always wanted to ask, Nelson. Nelson you're the man to answer it. I don't think you're particularly going to like it, but here it goes. Why can't I watch a sports event without announcers? And I don't mean with the sound off. I mean, I without, without announcers. announcers. I, want I want an experience, experience just like being, being at the game. game. When, when I'm at the game, game nobody's, nobody's telling, telling me the play-by-play play play or, or what's going on. on. And, with and with today's technology, of course, we can we put can on the screen any information, information I would benefit from that I'm missing. missing. Why can't Why can I watch without announcers? Well, you know, I mean, it's been tried, and I don't know what, you know, I think NBC has tried it a couple of times. Here's, you know, I was thinking about this quite a while ago, actually, because... These days, people don't watch the game with their head up. They watch the game with their head down. And because they're looking at their mobile device, whether it's an iPad or, you know, so if you don't have those announcers there, you, when do you look up? When you hear the crowd? You know, and, and that may be oversimplifying things, but, um, you know, I do that. I'll mm-hmm. be sitting there, on, I'll have my iPad going, and I may be watching another game on it if, uh, if there's something that, that I find uh, uh, to be interesting. But you're looking, at, you're looking at the Twitter feed, or you're looking yeah. at your fantasy results, or you're on your betting site, or, or, or. So, you know, announcers, good announcers don't bother me. Yeah. yeah. And well, would they- you stop watching a game because 
you don't like the play-by-play -play guy. No, no true, and, and the answer to that has always been, turn off the sound or turn on the radio feed. But Nelson, but Nelson, you raised, raised a great, great point in that, in that today, today everyone wants to just see the highlights. highlights. They don't want to watch the whole game anyway. So, so they, are they are distracted by other things while they're watching. Yeah, and that's the, you know, it leads to a show like, you know, the Jays in 30 or the Leafs in 30. Uh, um, you know, at my age, it's easy to find three and a half hours to watch a baseball game. I got nothing else to do. Yeah. <laughs> But when I had, you know, when I was busy, when I was working, when I had kids and, you know, and, and, and all the other things that one has going on in their life, Jays and 30 would have been fantastic. Yeah. That's the way <laughs> to why I'd like it myself. myself. Will we Will ever, we ever see, see an NFL, NFL team, team in Toronto? You know, you never say never, but uh, again, you look at the look at the dollars and cents. So we need a stadium there because they're going to build, you know, they're going to redevelop that Rogers Center into a baseball-only stadium, it looks like. So, you know, sure, if somebody's got 4 or $5 billion they're not doing anything with, maybe. <laughs> but there's no, you know, I'm not sure what the advantage is for the NFL. Their sponsorships, their advertising are, are focused on the United States. Canada is just not, you know, a, a big enough big enough market for them when the same number of people live in you know, California is due in, in Canada. So, sure. When you start to look at where their sponsorship and advertising dollars come from, does it from a business standpoint, it doesn't make sense. Let's talk Let's about talk the, about NHL. the NHL. NHL. Are we going to see a second NHL, NHL team, team in the GTA? GTA. Are we going to see, see the, the Richmond, Richmond Hill Rockets, Rockets or the Vaughn Victors? No. Flat no. out. No, flat out, no. Now, you may see it. But I may not. <laughs> I, I want, I want it. I'm still going to love my Leafs, but I would love a second. Well, team in the you've GTA. got all sorts of, you know. I mean, how much do you have to pay the Leafs to put another team in Toronto and yeah. territorial rights? And uh, you know, it always comes back to, uh, are you going to? Is are they, what's coming in going to be more than what's going out? And I, I don't see it, but anything's possible. <laughs> we never rule out anything. Now, Nelson, yeah, Nelson, I know you're a big, big golf, golf fan. fan. Do you have any predictions on the outcome of the current PGA versus live fracas that seems to be going on? How is this all going to end up? Do you have a viewpoint? Well, I think when rival leagues start over a period of time, they figure out the um, what that truce looks like. Um, you know, um, somebody I spend a lot of time working with, not as much as other people, Keith Pelley's, you know, running the, the European, the DP tour, I guess. And... Um, He's got his hands full over there trying to figure it out. I think for now, the money is, is it sustainable is always what it comes back to. So depending on who's underwriting it all, is if it's sustainable, it will exist. The WHA and the NHL merged because both parties were, you know, the WHA was having trouble. Mm -hmm. So they merge. You go back to the, you know, the AFL and, and the NFL or the ABA and the NBA. Um, it'll take some time, but they'll find middle ground, and maybe there's room for both. Who's saying yeah. there isn't? Well, and hopefully they come out stronger. Whether it is, together I don't get or... the whole live. I, I, you know, I because I, I like to watch golf. I'll watch it, but you know, the team thing. It just it it all seems to. I'm I'm a, I'm a bit of a traditionalist, so I'm still not used to guys out there wearing shorts. <laughs> well, that, that, <laughs> that that's, that's a big change for sure. For sure. <laughs> well, well, stay, well, stay tuned, tuned to see, see where, where golf all unfolds.
As we wrap up, Nelson, I appreciate your time. I want to ask what's next for you. I know you're enjoying your retirement, but do you have anything you're working on or any travel plans? What's what's next for you? You know what? Like I said, I I, I did a lot of woodworking, um, but we need to build a bedroom where my workshop was. So I've sold off most of my most of my tools. Uh oh. And uh, we're in a very small house, and uh, uh, so we we need the space. Um, I'm going to be south for the winter, hopefully three months. Um, I, after the past two winters, I said I'm not spending any more winters here. Fabulous. Uh, so not that I really want to race into the United States because it's a big freaking dumpster fire. Um, but it's warm. But it's warm. And, and, and you don't <laughs> have to shovel. <laughs> and I don't have to shovel it. So, if I may ask, where's your destination, destination of choice in the in, in the Bonita US? Springs? Which is right between Fort Myers and Naples, and we've been going there on and off for a few years, and um, lots of golf down there, and uh, some friends, and so, uh, and uh, for the first time, we're driving down with a dog, um, so we'll see see how that goes. Um, one of us is liable to wind up on the roof, but I'm not sure which one. <laughs> It'll, be It'll be a road, be a road trip, trip for, for sure. sure. It'll be a road trip for sure. So that's, <laughs> uh, and you know what? I mean, like I said, we. Um, we spent a lot of years being quiet because of what was going on in our house. Um, and so, you know, it, it, we, we have a very quiet life. Well, you're going to... And it doesn't you, suck. Hey, listen, anyone who can golf as much as it sounds like you're enjoying it is the way to go. Yeah, but you have to be a lot better than I am after playing this much golf. Hey, hey practice, practice makes perfect. perfect. That, that, that applies to all of us. Not, not bad seems- practice. <laughs> Where can we best follow your retor- retirement exploits or anything else? Are you active on social media? Uh, yeah, um, I am. I think I've, I've got maybe I don't know, maybe a hundred followers. So, uh, <laughs> well, we'll get at, you a few more. Do you know what your handle at is? N, yes, I do. At N Millman. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, we will interact with you there. Well, I want to thank you for your time, and I hope you uh, have a great fall and enjoy your drive. That will be an adventure, and you have a great winter. Thank you, Andrew. I do appreciate you having me on. You keep up the great work. Uh, I actually listened to the Chuck Swirsky uh, uh, podcast today, and uh, always nice to hear from the Swirsk. Absolutely. Absolutely. And from you, those are very very kind words. words. Thank Thank you very much. much. And to the listener, listener, thank thank you you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. On behalf of Nelson Nelson Nolman, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Do 
did will the story of people podcast is now available on the crier media network the first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories ready tara sloan from the san jose sharks undercurrent podcast at nbc sports Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. <laughs>